0: This is the Anderson Business Advisors podcast, the show for real estate investors, stock traders, and business owners. We help you keep more of what you earn and protect what you've built. Let's get started. All right, and we should be live. Welcome to Tax Tuesday, everybody. My name is Toby Mathis.
1: Hi, I'm Elliot Thomas, manager of the Tax Advisors here at Anderson.
0: And we are doing our best to bring tax knowledge to the masses. Let's see, we'll wait for everybody to fill up. Let's go over the rules. You guys always love hearing about the rules, right? Number one, uh, you can ask live questions via the Q&A feature. And if I'm going to look up, uh, we could see them over here. But in your in, in your settings, you're going to go down below and it's going to say Q&A. That's where you leave a question that is a lengthy question where you're actually asking our professionals uh, a, a question for, for clarity. Uh, if, if it's like more than a few sentences, that's where it's going to be. On the chat, you can do something like ask for clarification of like something we just said, or leave a comment or even better yet, tell me where you're sitting right now today. And I don't mean like in your kitchen, I mean like what city or what state you're in, what country you're in, just so we get an idea. Somebody says, can you please speak on the bank runs and thoughts? We got uh, Baltimore. Baltimore, Wisconsin. Yeah. Colorado, Florida, Chico, California, North Hills, California, Los Angeles in the house. we got a lot of, there goes Seattle, there goes Washington, D.C., Miami, Florida, a couple of Miamis, Loganville, Fort uh, Fort Worth, oh, wow, Vegas, hey, you're right here with us, Austin, Missouri, Clinton, uh, Maryland, Reno, Oklahoma City. Do I have to mute myself? No, you don't have to mute yourself, don't worry. Uh, Hawaii. Hospital outside of San Francisco, Port lottery Hopefully you're working and not in the hospital. New York City, we got people, you got them from all, all yeah. over the place. They're coming, pouring through. So, and they're even going into the Q and A too. So anyway, hey, we're here to answer your questions. we got a whole bunch of set questions that you guys email in. Speaking of emailing in, you can always email in questions at taxtuesday@andersonadvisors.com. And we get them throughout the weeks when we're not broadcasting and then we put them up. So you'll see some here. If you need detailed responses to your specific question, you need to be a client. So like if you're getting into advising and not just asking a question about a tax rule, then you're gonna need to be platinum or a tax client, which if you want to know how to do either of those things, just say, hey, I'm interested in learning how to become a client, or I want to be platinum. Platinum's 35 bucks a month. It's not a break the bank, and you can ask tax questions in writing. And then this is supposed to be fast, fun, and educational. Try you, to make it
1: that way.
0: Do you have fun doing these?
1: It's fun and educational <laughs> about the fast part.
0: Now, what about somebody says, hey, I want to hear about the... Uh, see something oh my god i got my first aristocrat today thank you (laughs) Marque. so that's a an aristocrat a dividend aristocrat there's dividend kings and aristocrats so Mm -hmm. sounds like you bought yourself a really good billion dollar plus company that has been increasing its dividends for at least 25 years yes they're out there and uh, that's awesome keep doing it even in this market you never stop buying there's a little I have a little chart that says when to be buying in the market, buy, 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 buy. You just don't go crazy at any time. You're not timing the market, you're just consistently investing. And study after study after study has shown that is the best way to be investing, not trying to time things. Speaking of timing things, this whole bank run, I mean, it's not the end of the world. It just seems like it sometimes if your money's in a bank that gets tied up in one of these receiverships, anything over $250,000 is exposed to loss. But you've seen Biden and the administration coming in and saying, hey, we're not gonna allow those losses to occur, we're gonna find strategies to allow the banks to to continue to operate. And what's what's really happened in my opinion is you had banks that are, they're limited in what they can invest in and they're investing in bonds. And these bonds are like, let's just say it was a mortgage-backed bond. It was basically mortgage-backed securities. And we were getting loans on mortgages, what, 3%. So the coupon rate might be 2%. So you invest in one of these things and you're getting paid in a years coming forth at 2%. And who who wants that right now? You can go get a CD for 4.5%. So there's no market for the bond. So the mark bond market just got crushed. Well, you still have a, a guaranteed return, of two percent, the bank's still going to have its money, but it doesn't have any market for it. So, in my personal view, it's like if, if I was the Feds, uh, I would be saying, "Hey, let's let's do a buyback on those. Maybe you don't even pay the interest, man. And it works that way." But you know, personally, I just look at the Fed raising interest rates the way they have is they knew they were going to keep raising interest rates until something broke, and we just heard a snap, right? So, hopefully, we're 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 through some of this. Some of you guys went through it in two thousand and eight. We had folks here. I think it was Silver State. Was that the one that went yep. under here we locally? Times, yeah, there was there was there was businesses because everybody thinks it's always rich people that have the the bigger accounts. They had their payroll in there about three million. They went in, talked to the bank and they said we're worried about your uh, liquidity. We've read some stuff and the bank assured them everything's copaesthetic. Don't worry, we're fine. And then the Fed came in and shut them down. And they lost their three million dollars. You know, you end up dealing with the FDIC trying to get the two hundred fifty thousand dollars back. That's a process in and of itself. So, you know, the best advice to you guys is spread yourself your risk out amongst multiple institutions if you have large balances. If you're below two hundred and fifty, you really don't have too much to worry about. But you're going to see is everybody's going to run to Chase and Bank of America and Wells Fargo, who's another big one.
1: Uh, US Bank.
0: JP Morgan Chase. Well, I said Chase. So this was yeah.
1: a number sixteen, I think, ranked bank.
0: They were so they were they're up there. They were large. So but
1: hit the VC, the venture capitalists really hard.
0: Well, they're gonna get bailed out, so apparently they're gonna be okay, right? Yep. Uh and then you had signature topple over too. So we might not be done with it. But if you remember two thousand and nine, ten when these banks were closing, it does cause an issue. The issue in my opinion is because the fed just started raising interest rates and devalued all the bonds i don't remember a single time in if you're a nerd correct me if i'm wrong but i don't think there's ever been a year where we saw the stock market and the bark bond market decline i don't remember a time in anything that i've seen where you saw 20 percent plus losses in the market plus you saw bonds just get crushed too. But anyway, that's not why you guys are here. You guys are here about taxes. I just, uh, you can ladder your CDs if you're sitting on a few million bucks and you're just so worried. You know, what you do is you buy CDs with a bunch of different banks. They're all insured and that way you don't have to worry. Or you go to like a Schwab where they have extra insurance. I think it's like up to $150 million. It's a huge amount. But uh, anyway, let's go to these. What is an installment sale on real estate? How do you utilize it within the tax code? So that's question number one. We'll get to it and we will answer it. What happens to accumulated depreciation on rental property when the owner passes away? Does the person inheriting the property need to account for depreciation recapture from the deceased owner when you later decide to sell that property? This is a long one. It is. (laughs) <laughs> if the person inheriting the property gets a step up in basis, does that new basis now become the basis to calculate depreciation on if you keep the property? So we'll get into all this. Can the person inheriting the rental property also have a new cost segregation done? And would that be affected by any cost segregation done previously? Any other tax considerations to be aware of when inheriting rental property? So that is about the most comprehensive question I've ever seen. On inherited property. So we'll get to
1: that. Okay. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> we get hundreds. So when mm-hmm. usually I used to just grab 10. I'd be like, here, just grab a row. But uh, it's always fun. You grabbed a long one. I received a 1099 INT from a bankrupt crypto company I invested, it, invested with called Celsius. So this is, again, kind of relevant to some of the stuff that's going on. The money on the 1099 never touched my bank account as it is currently locked in a crypto wallet on their website for the last eight months. It was interest from USDC coins I staked, but I left it all in the wallet to reinvest. Am I supposed to pay taxes on this money that I never received or can I leave it be and ignore it until the bankruptcy is resolved? Good question Mm. and tough answer. Very timely. How does the law or the tax law treat the hiring of children by an LLC? At what age can they be hired? Which circulars discuss this? I am using home office and depreciating part of the house. How will it look on the taxes at the year I sell it? Good questions. Mm -hmm. Are there any tax deductions for real estate held in a self-directed IRA? So when you see SIDRA, that just stands for self-directed IRA. Can you explain S-corp taxes with shared distribution? When it's time to file taxes, do we pay taxes all shared distributions? So I'm not quite following that, but I think we'll break it down. I think I see what they say. Do you have to pay taxes on everything you receive, or just like the profits, etc.? So we'll get into that. I started an LLC, C corp, with Anderson Advisors in October 22 for real estate. I have paid twenty thousand dollars plus in networks, education, probably getting training. I did not do any deals in 2022 for my new real estate business. Can I still write all that off for the business? I have used my personal credit card to make purchases for the new REI business, real estate business. Since I do not have a business credit card, did I break the corporate veil? Question mark. So we'll have some comments on this for sure, uh, but we'll get to that. What org structure for small business is audited the least and provides the lowest tax liability? There's stats on this one, guys. How do I best utilize my C-Corp status for tax savings and investing in real estate? We have my 1099 paycheck going to our C-Corp bank account and then pay out about half of it to our personal bank account as a paycheck. But how do I utilize the other half that's sitting in the C-Corp accounts, such such as to buy a new short-term rental or a long-term rental uh, investment property? So we'll dive into all those. If you guys are seeing that there's a wide variety of questions, you're probably already thinking to yourself, hey, I have some answers to that. Well, fantastic. If you like this sort of stuff, go to my YouTube channel. You can subscribe for free, put notifications on by clicking on that bell, because then you know when a new video comes out. And more importantly, if you like Tax Tuesdays, that's where we put the recordings. So you just pop in there. If you want to know how to get to the YouTube, just go to aba.link board slash YouTube. I'll even make the little, oh, it doesn't flash anymore. I used to have the thing flash, but the uh, animation is not working, Miss Puri. (laughs) Let me give Patty the look. I like my little flashing red thing. (laughs) Just teasing. All right. Elliot, Hmm. what is an installment sale in real estate? How do you utilize it within the tax code?
1: So an installment sale simply means that you're getting payment over more than one year. It could be for two years, could be for 20. So you're just getting chunks of money, typically the same amount each year or a prorated amount for the first year, perhaps a down payment first year. But where the payments are generally the same amount, doesn't have to be. Uh, When we talk specifically for real estate, I thought this was kind of interesting because we have to watch out for that. If you're just buying an investment property well, then you can, uh, the recipient only has to pay tax on a certain portion of what they receive each year. So in other words, you don't have to pay all the tax up front. So if you sell it a profit of maybe $2 million, it doesn't mean you have to pay all that profit right away because you just do it as your chunks of payment come in. And that's based by what we call the gross percentage. And we just take that times the amount of payment, there's going to be a gain component, there's going to be an interest component, and then there's going to be the principal itself. So you'd record each of that each year on your sale of real estate.
0: Yeah, so it's if you're a, a code fanatic, it's 26USC453. And when you do an installment sale, which means you're taking the payment over a longer period of time than just in one year. So it could be two years, it could be 20 years. You're spreading the tax obligations out over that period of time, unless you opt out.
1: That's right, you don't have to.
0: Yeah, so like if you're selling your... Your, your personal residence on a uh, on a installment note. So like, hey, I have you know, $300,000 a gain, I'm married. I don't have to pay tax on it. You may say, I'm gonna opt out of the installment sale even though you ch- you're carrying back a note. So it's basically like having a mortgage on the property and you're the bank and they're paying you over time. You're gonna get gain back. You're gonna get return of basis, which is zero. You're gonna get depreciation recapture and you're gonna get interest. And guys like Elliot break it all out and figure out what it's gonna what it's gonna look like.
1: One thing I just want to also add is that don't mix up this kind of sale of real estate with flipping, because now we don't we have a whole different tax code provision for that. And flipping is considered inventory, and you cannot use an installment sale with inventory. So that's an important note. We often get new investors and we have to warn them about that. So if you're flipping a property. Make sure you know that you're not taking the payments on installment. Otherwise, you're going to get hit with all the gain in the first year. That and also you cannot have an installment between uh, related parties.
0: Mm-hmm. Somebody says, can I get a recording of this? Yes. We'll put it on the YouTube channel. Uh, are you saying the inventory is the home? Uh, yes, Faith. When you buy real estate to sell it, pretend that you're a car dealership and you're you're having Cars on your lot, you have real estate on your lot, and so the IRS says it's no longer investment real estate; it's inventory, which is not depreciated. So, under uh, four hundred and fifty-three, they specifically—that's the installment sale code provision—it specifically says that when you are a dealer in real estate, that you cannot use the installment sale. So, this is relevant to somebody who buys, fixes up, and flips, and carries back the note you might be surprised that you're required to pay the taxes in the year that you sold, even though you're getting the money over five or 10 years or 20 years, right? So it's almost better to not do that if you're a flipper. That's why you don't see too many people that are in the flipping world carrying back notes because I could flip a house, I could have $100,000 of profit I have to pay tax on, but I haven't received my 100,000. I'm gonna be receiving it over the next 10 years, but I gotta pay the tax this year. Correct. Which can be a nasty situation. Oh my God, I'm so new to real estate investing that what they just said about flipping makes absolutely no sense to me. Can they break it down for a five-year-old? Yep. So Claire, when you buy real estate, a piece of real estate, let's say I buy a house. In my intent, when I buy it, is to sell it. My intent is not to rent it and hold it for the long-term. My intent is to put new paint on it, new carpeting, and turn it around and sell it for $30,000 more than what I paid for. I am a business. I am not an investor. I am considered a dealer and I am taxed. As, it's no different than if I had a pizza shop and I was selling pizzas. Okay. I am just a business. And that's where people uh, make a mistake. And then you'll have gurus out there go out there and say, no, you just hold it for a year. And now it's magically investment. No, the court cases on it go as far back. There's one there where it's 10 year hold that they uh, treat, treated the guy like a dealer. And the reason they want to is because you don't have long-term capital gains. You're treated as, it's going to be active ordinary income if you're materially participating. Like if you're doing the flips and you're working in it, then you're going to have not only your ordinary tax bracket up to 37%, but you're going to get hit with the uh, old age disability and survivors and Medicare, the social security taxes. That's 15.3%. So you get... What? Get <laughs> On. Somebody says I'm still working on my diet. Uh, diet, easy on the pizza talk. Right? <laughs> pizza is diet food, just bad diet food. <laughs> what happens to accumulated depreciation on a rental property when the owner passes away?
1: Goes away. Yeah,
0: you you have a step up in basis, so all of your accumulated depreciation, all you have to do to never pay it back, just die. Is die. That's all you have to do. <laughs> if if if. If somebody tells you to gift your property to your kids right before you die, ignore them, don't do it. Nine times out of 10, you just completely hosed yourself. I see people do it still. Or at least the kids. Yeah, don't do it, (laughs) don't do it. All right, does the person inheriting the property need to account for depreciation recapture from the deceased owner when you later decide to sell the property? No. It's just a flat out no. No. Because it steps up in basis. The depreciation is gone. You don't have to worry about it. You get to re-depreciate it. And that's going to be the next couple of questions. If the person inheriting the property gets a stepped up in basis, that's the fair market value. So mom and dad bought a property for 30,000. It's now worth 300. They depreciated a big part of that 30 and they die and you inherit it. You now have a property at 300,000. You depreciate it at what amount?
1: 300,000.
0: Yep, you get to start doing it again. If the person inheriting the property gets a stepped up in basis, does that new basis now become the basis to calculate depreciation on if you keep the property? Yes, absolutely. Can the person inheriting the rental property also have a cost seg done and would that be affected by any cost segregations done previously?
1: New cost seg. And uh, to my knowledge, the the previous Cost Seg doesn't have any effect.
0: Yep. Stepped up. Basis. All you did is you accelerated your depreciation. You got your parents got more deduction earlier. It's not like it's they got more deduction. They're just accelerating that deduction instead of taking it over 27 and a half years. You might have taken a, about a third of that in the in in one year. Sometimes it's over uh stretching. So cost seg is breaking down the years from 27 and a half. Yeah. It's breaking like let's say I had a property that's a single family residence, same thing, and we're renting it. And I'm normally you're depreciating everything over 27 and a half years. So pretend the carpet in that house, it's gonna be depreciated over 27 and a half years. Pretty gamey. <laughs> Which is, yeah, it, that doesn't really happen, right? So the IRS allows us to do what's called a cost sag and break the components down because that carpet is actually five-year property. You're supposed to be writing it off over five years. So it's not like you increase the amount of your depreciation over that you would get in 27 and a half years. You're just front loading it. So you're getting a lot more deduction in the first few years than you would normally. And no, it doesn't affect it. So you can absolutely get your step up in basis and no, it won't impact you. You'll get to write it off all over again, which is again, that's why real estate is so obviously one of the best investments because Unlike if I bought shares in Microsoft, I can't write off my shares in Microsoft. I can't depreciate my shares in Microsoft. If I buy a piece of real estate, I get to write it off. Then when my kids inherit it, they get to write it off again at its new value. If Microsoft shares go up in value and they step up in basis, so what? Right. There's that I'm not getting to depreciate it. I'm not getting to take a deduction for my ownership. In real estate, you are. And so it's giving us a, a pretty big, uh, pretty big benefit. Are there any other tax considerations to be aware of when inheriting a rental property?
1: I don't know about the inheriting, but often the question is, do I gift? As Toby pointed out, don't gift because you don't get that stepped up basis. Wait until the beneficiaries can inherit. That is after someone dies.
0: Yep. I've seen it. I actually have a, a really bad story where it was the uh, the estate Tax went away completely, which is a tax they impose on your state if it's over a certain dollar amount. So back in the day, like it was when I first started practicing, it was six hundred thousand. Now it's thirteen million. Like it's just some really high number. I think it's thirteen. Is it twelve? Or is it thirteen? Twelve
1: plus about thirteen now. Yeah,
0: it's about thirteen million per spouse. So twenty-six million. So you go above that, you're going to pay this estate tax, which which is going to be about forty percent. And there was a time when we were worried that we were gonna go back down to a million. So there was clients who inherited property and it was in the year that it would have been zero estate tax. And the dad gifted just prior a building that he had had for almost 40 years to the kids and he gifted it. So they they got his basis. So not only did they, now they have to pay tax on all that gain, they lose the ability to depreciate it and they didn't get any tax benefit at all—zero, zilch, none. All they did is cause themselves uh, millions of dollars of extra taxes. And I hope they sent their accountant a Christmas present. <laughs> it was like, what the heck? What? What were they thinking? Well, they thought it was going to—you know—that it was going to be taxable. Blah blah blah. Well,
1: blah, and blah. to that, we we often talk about the the upcoming changes potentially in the tax code. Don't. Don't just run out at all the, you know, the, the talk you'll hear in the press and all that. We really want to wait until it's signed, sealed, and delivered before we start making decisions on your tax planning.
0: Yes. Don't react to something that hasn't occurred yet. I received a 1099 INT from a bankrupt crypto company I invested in or invested with called Celsius. The money on the 1099 never touched my bank account as it is currently locked in a crypto wallet on their website for the last six or eight months. It was interest from USDC coins I staked, but I left it in the wallet to, to to reinvest. Am I supposed to pay tax on this money that I never received, or can I leave it be and ignore it until the bankruptcy is resolved? What do you say?
1: They're gonna tell you, you need to report it and you need to pay tax on it. And right now that's where the IRS position is on this. There could be some unique situations, perhaps Toby, depending on what happened with that and you know, what got us to this point where Celsius is there
0: so we've dealt with this over the years with ponzi schemes and bankruptcies and stuff so you have two things that occurred you made money on your staking and it's held in an institution that's become insolvent and the question is are you going to get it back in the meantime they're sending you the 1099 saying here's the interest you made And you're saying, I don't have access to it, therefore I should not be paying tax on it. And that's not the rule. The rule was you could have taken that money. You just continued to store it in a, in a, in a, a, at Celsius and they ended up going insolvent. The question is whether your money was stolen or whether there was fraud and your receiver may have opinions on that, and they may be seeking direction. The receiver is an extension of the court, and undoubtedly, if there's a bankruptcy, there's either a trustee or receiver or both, and you're probably gonna wanna get direction from them as to whether they believe that you're able to take a a theft loss or whether it was actually stolen, whether there was fraud. Uh, I know that I've seen these before. I can't remember Celsius specifically.
1: Yeah, I don't know, but you do get a letter. I've seen many of those letters where they say it's from a government a institution of some sort of the courts saying that this was part of a fraud scheme, we believe. And it's, mm. it's kind of what kicks it off for your tax preparer to say, okay, well, maybe we can take a loss here. Now there's specific rules to that as well, which we won't go in here. But mm-hmm. aside from that, if there isn't any fraud, then one is required to report that Interest income and has to pay tax on them, even though you don't currently have access.
0: Yeah. And then if you have a loss, you're typically going to have a capital loss, Mm -hmm. right? If you're going to lose your cash or you'll be, there'll be some sort of corresponding loss. The question is in 2022, did you make money? And they say yes. And then you might have a loss in 2023, depending on what happens in the bankruptcy. Of course, you may just get all your money, you know. So, you know, that's the thing is they're going to say, hey, you need to pay the tax on the properly issued 1099. Your accountant could take the position that it was fraud and that you're never going to get the money back. And you know, and file your return and 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 put a notation and see if the IRS catches it. But uh, for the most part, you were issued a 1099 int. It said you made this money, and now that money is in jeopardy. You still pay tax on the money that you made, uh, even though you may not get it back when you, when we know for certain, it's kind of like any time you've ever had a a loan out to somebody, you don't get to write it off when they don't pay it back. You actually have to show that you went through and exhausted all measures of recovery before you can actually take a a loss.
1: And you want to be documenting.
0: Mm -hmm. All right. How does the tax law treat the hiring of children by an LLC? At what age can they be hired and which circular discusses this?
1: All right. So the the big thing people are looking for here usually is how do I pay my child maybe in a manner that I don't have to pay employment taxes on? And that's when they're under 18, no social security, uh, no Medicare taxes on those, but they must be paid by an LLC that's owned by mom and dad, if it's a, a disregarded LLC or a partnership, and they have to be paid as W-2 employees. So it's really critical to hit this that's up till eighteen. Then up to twenty-one. That, mean,
0: that means they have to do something.
1: Yes, they have to be working. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So there's cases of kids nine years old getting paid screen actors guilds wages for being like talent on you know for images and things like that. Being a uh, you know being a model for the marketing materials. Uh, you have kids that push brooms and yeah. and do cleaning. You have kids that do tack that do data entry. You just have to show what they're doing and it has to be a reasonable amount that you're paying them. And then if, if it's a sole proprietor, which could be a disregarded LLC or a partnership, then you have no withholding if they're under 18, right?
1: If they're paid as W-2 employees, that's correct. You can't 1099 them. Now, as far as the ages though, that's the the, the federal government relies on the specific state. Each state has its own different rules. Most of them, you know, the kid's not going to sue their parents, so not too many people look into that. But it is determined by the state rules.
0: Yeah, I don't think there's any state where if it's if it's family members. Somebody says, do, do the grandkids count? I know it's with children for sure. I'm not yeah, sure. I don't
1: know about grandkids. I don't, I don't know
0: but the here's the thing is if if they're making less than... 13,000 some odd, I think it's $13,850 uh, in 2023. They don't pay tax on federal income taxes. They may still have some employment taxes if you run it through payroll. But what we're talking about is avoiding all taxes. So if you pay a, somebody who's 18 or under, right? Or is it under 18? Uh,
1: 18 or under, 18. Uh, sorry, no, 17. So be 17.
0: so. It's, it's under 18. So when you hit the age of majority, now we have to worry about the employment taxes, period but the federal income tax is gonna be next to nothing if you're paying these kids. Like let's say you're $10,000 a year, then they normally you have to pay their tuition and you had to pay their tuition and you're in the aggregate tax bracket of, you know, you're 32%, you're, you're gonna to have to make over $15,000 just for federal income tax purposes to be able to pay their tuition at 10,000. If you just pay that kid the money, even if they're over 18, like we're not worried about the employment taxes here. I'm just saying, if you just pay them, even through payroll, it could be a C-Corp, S-Corp, whatever, pay them and let them pay for their tuition with the money that they earn. They may not be paying any federal income taxes. Then the employment taxes don't seem so bad. Your aggregate amount of employment taxes between an employer and employee after deductions is about 14.1%. So you're paying a total of 14% on on money where you would be paying in some cases
1: 37 plus
0: 30 yeah because you have employment taxes too so 40 plus percent so that's what you're doing is you're saying hey i'm just going to be able to get uh, much better tax treatment here if i let the kids pay for their college and things like that than than me doing it something says if flipping is like selling pizza. Oh, somebody's going back to that. 37 and 15. Does that mean my aggregate tax amount is about 52%? It can be pretty high. It's not going to be quite there, but it's going to be pretty darn close. If you're at 37%, you've actually phased out of the old age disability and survivors portion of, of social security, which is right around 147,000. So if you're at 37% means you're making a lot more money than that, You're at then you're looking at 3.8%, 2.9 plus there's an extra point eight, so about 3.8%. So you're really looking at just over 40%. Yes. And that's that be, could that be state too. State could could be state. But Claire, that's why you use an S Corp or a C Corp when you're flipping. Cause we want to be able to 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 minimize that. So and get some of that money into a 401k or get it into another business.
1: And as far as a circular, I I didn't know what it was off the top of my head, but I do know if you just type in IRS hiring family. It'll take you right there to. They have a really nice website that goes over that.
0: And uh, I'll probably do another video on that. Actually.
1: Yeah. I might dive in there.
0: Yeah. Their yeah. We've done it before. I'll, I'll do another deep dive. All right. I am using a uh, home office and depreciating part of the house. How will it look on the taxes at the year I sell it? It's
1: going to look like you're paying. Yeah. It's going to look like tax liability.
0: So I don't like the home office. I like using administrative office in the home and having an S corp or an LLC taxed as an S corp reimbursing me for the value of my space because then I don't have depreciation recapture. If you're doing a, if you're a sole proprietor and you are taking a home office deduction and you have depreciation, or if you're house hacking and you're renting out part of your house, you're gonna have depreciation recapture when you sell the house. Uh, section one twenty one of the code allows you to avoid capital gains only capital gains specifically up to two hundred fifty thousand dollars if you're single up to five hundred thousand if you're married filing jointly, but does not cover depreciation recapture. So if you have a house and you have half the house that you're renting out, or if you have a you've been doing a home office for years. There is, an, you can do a 121 with a 1031 exchange. You can treat the part of the house that was depreciated when you sell it. You could actually 1031 it into something else if it if the numbers justify it. But uh, for the most part, that's why we say don't do the home office. Don't be a sole proprietor. There's reasons not to be a sole proprietor, partially because they do get poor tax treatment and they they pay self-employment tax on all their dollars, which is, The uh, social security taxes, it's not good. And they get audited a lot. So like, there's there's a whole bunch of reasons not to be a sole proprietor, but 70% of the businesses still persist at being sole proprietors. Anything else on that one?
1: No, I think that's pretty much it.
0: So the answer to your question is make sure you're talking to a tax professional when you go to sell the house. You may have some recapture, but it's not the end of the world. It's at your tax rate up to 25%. So if there is some recapture, it might be annoying, but I don't think it'll, it's going to be a devastating tax, especially if you can control your income for that year. Uh, speaking of controlling income and learning about all these different tax uh, nuances and how to and how it works with real estate, my partner and I, Clint, we do a real estate tax and asset protection every every month, several to, couple times a month. We have one coming up; it looks like in March 25th, and then another one on April 8th. But feel free to register. It's an all-day event. We go from about nine to four uh, Pacific Standard Time, and uh, the, these are not recorded events, so you don't we we don't make the recordings available. And there's always something that's an incentive that for for those who show up. But if you want to learn about LLCs, land trusts, uh, living trusts, corporations, S corp, C corp, dealer status, uh, cost segregation, accelerated depreciation, one sixty eight k, ten thirty one. 121, all the different fund code provisions, then you want to come to this event. It's actually really fun and it's always good. And uh, you absolutely f- feel free. I think, yep, so Patty already posted the link. Join us. We've been doing them for a number of years and they're always uh, they're always fun. So are there any tax deductions for real estate held in a self-directed IRA?
1: No. <laughs> when you have something in your retirement plan like that, there isn't the concept of deductions. There's just cash flow going out, paying for bills, and then there's cash flow coming in, your rent, or if you sold it. We don't have any tax consequences. So you're going to lose out on those big things like depreciation, et cetera, no, no tax benefit.
0: There is one exception, just to be annoying. Mm-hmm. And that is if you have a loan on your real estate in your self directed IRA, then you have something called unrelated debt financed income. And that one you can use your depreciation to offset. But otherwise, it, yeah, you're putting it in a self-directed IRA, it's exempt, right? You're not paying any tax. You got your tax benefit either doing a traditional IRA, a 401k, rolling it into the self-directed IRA. Realistically, if you're doing real estate and you're gonna be investing with a self-directed IRA, you may, and, and if you need debt at all, if you need any loans to buy that property, roll it into a 401k because the it does not have the same rule. You do not have to pay unrelated debt financed income in a 401k, so if you have, if you're gonna be buying real estate and you're gonna be levering it at all, and uh, in a retirement plan, make sure it's a 401k because it is not taxable. A self-directed IRA is taxable when you have unrelated debt financed income. So, excitement. Yep, good stuff. Yep, good questions. Can you explain S-corp taxes with shared distributions? When it's time to file taxes, do we pay taxes, all shared distributions, question mark?
1: So I think what we're getting at here, an S corporation has two primary ways of getting paid as an owner shareholder. One would be W-2 wages. And the other is all the other income. It comes down on a K-1, we call it. Often we we'll use the term distribution, but really distribution means you took the, you took the money out. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't have to be the case. You can leave it in there and still be taxed, or you will be taxed. So your distribution share, not your W-2 income, is just taxed at your ordinary rates.
0: Yes. This is a big distinction. Mm -hmm. Regardless of whether you distribute the money in an S-corp, it flows down proportionately to the shareholders. And distributions have to be proportionate. I cannot distribute. like Let's say Elliot and I are 50-50. He can't take money and I don't. They have to be equal distributions on an annual basis. So there's always this little, this little game you play, especially if you have like a doctor's practice with 10 doctors in it yeah. and, you know, and there's all these different dollars going on over it. You got to make sure it matches up because they have to be equal distributions. Regardless of whether you take distributions, you have to pay tax on your proportionate share of the profit or you recognize a proportionate share of the loss you cannot do non-pro rata distributions or loss sharing in an S-Corp. And this goes for an LLC taxed as an S-Corp as well. So if you have an S-Corp, it really doesn't matter whether you take the money out, it just matters whether there was profit. Now, saying that, I'm gonna give you guys one rule that for whatever reason, nobody knows, or the accountants know and they're like, ah. So if you have an S-Corp and you did not take distributions, you are technically not required to take a salary. And that one throws people off all the time because they say you're required to take a salary out of an S Corp. You're required to take an, a salary out of an S Corp if you take distributions. If you don't take distributions, if you're just growing it, then technically you don't actually have to, uh, you don't have to take a salary. Somebody says, I was hit hard with UBIT inside my Roth where I owed $200,000 and $400,000 gain. The company is no longer in business, trying to scratch back any part of the UBIT. Is it possible happened? I don't know. Let me see. Twenty twenty. That was 2020. Was it, uh, Valerie, was that? I'm going to see if I can find anything else. Um, If you got hit with unrelated business income tax, was it unrelated debt finance income? Or did you get hit with uh, UBIT where you were running an active business in it? It was a business. Ouch. And there shouldn't have been gain. It was passive. I wonder what they got hit with UBIT for.
1: I have a, well, I don't want to speak for Valerie here, but I have a feeling that they consider it passive and that you didn't do anything, but what you're invested in was an operating business and that's active. Why well, they hit it with, ah. Oh, it was leveraged. Okay.
0: So, okay, so Valerie, this is unrelated debt finance income and yes, there is something you can do. You have to take the depreciation against the, uh, you, you, this is the only time you actually run these scenarios in a IRA is, it was a Roth, so it's just a typical IRA, is when you have unrelated debt financed income and you can take the depreciation to to lower the income. If they have, I don't know why they would, oh, so they had a big chunk of the gain. So they sold it and it was levered. I don't know a way around that one. That's probably what happened, Valerie, is you had leverage and they said you owed a bunch of tax on the gain. And that must've been that's a horrible situation because it sounds like you were taxed at, yeah, you. It, it sounds like it was less than a than a year,
1: fifty percent.
0: How long did they own the apartment building, or how long were you in it? Because it sounds like it was treated as uh, as short term, ten years. Ooh, term capital gains. So you must have been in. That doesn't make any sense, huh? I, I would love to see that one, uh, California thirty seven percent. They treated it as ordinary income, so they must have treated it as a flip. So they must've bought the apartment complex, fixed it up and sold it. Is that, is that what's happening? And that, I apologize, it wasn't a flip. Then it's not 37%, unless they treated it as levered. Yeah, then they, they would, they tax you at oh, the right. highest amount. Yep. 10 year hold and they taxed you on the unrelated debt financed income is what they did. That's
1: a lot of debt
0: financed. It's at the rate. highest, it's at the highest rate, is, yeah. yeah. So you got hit with that penalty uh, because they levered it. And I hate the fact that that happened, Valerie, for you and realistically the promoters should be a little more careful and if you did that through a self-directed ira then they should have caught it too but we see that over and over again it's it's the difference between a ira and a 401k a 401k would not have been subject to that same rule even a I think even a roth 401k although it's almost impossible to get a roth ira into a roth 401k in fact it is impossible you can't roll a roll it but I'm so sorry you got hit with that. And uh, yeah, it just stinks. But at least you made money. You got killed with taxes, but at least it was a profitable endeavor. You always see something interesting, guys. And I, I can see the chat. We disabled chat for everybody else just because people solicit each other. There's always a Nigerian prince or uh, or an mlm in there that's that's trying to look for customers. So I'm reading the, the chat as we go along. So I apologize. If you guys can't see that. All right. Let's go back. I started an LLC C-Corp with Anderson Advisors in October of 2022 for real estate investing. I paid 20,000 bucks plus in networks, education, et cetera. So it sounds like you went through one of the bigger um, education companies. I did not do any deals in 2022 for my real estate business. Can I still write off, write all that off for the business? I have used my personal credit card to make purchases. For my new business, since I do not have a business credit card, did I break the corporate bail?
1: So yes, you can deduct those uh, expenses. They are going to go on your C-corporation. If they were incurred prior to the date of incorporation, there'll be what we call startup costs, and you will be uh, able to deduct up to 5000 Anything over in the startup costs will be uh, amortized over 15 years. I was going to say depreciate, but it's almost the same concept, but it's amortized. Mm-hmm. Uh anything after the of corporation, you'll be able to deduct dollar for dollar uh, as a dollar of deductions and any loss you have in the C corporation will just carry forward. So the fact that you didn't have any business, don't worry about that. That's perfectly fine. And your loss will just carry forward to next year's when you do.
0: Here's the thing. I don't think that there's a uh, that there's a loss in the corporation yet because it's a personal credit card. I think that the corporation will need to reimburse you first before that loss is in there. <laughs>
1: Yes. As far as a personal card to that aspect of it, you need to turn it in. And for reimbursement, typically, we get it on there. And these would be the expenses that occurred after it was incorporated yeah. generally. They go to what we call it loans you, from shareholders.
0: You're going to get to write this off, yeah. period. But uh, so would, would you actually grab this as a deduction called a loan from shareholders? Is that what you do?
1: Well, we would. Ex- yes, we would call it loans from shareholders and we would expense the expenses provided that, uh, yeah, we do have to have that payback. That's right.
0: Because you're either doing one of two things. You're either saying, hey, I loaned you the money from the credit card to do the purchases, or you're going to loan $20,000 to the corporation to reimburse you for your expenses, at which time, then it becomes deductible to the corporation, or you wait till the corporation makes 20,000 bucks and it's just paying you back for the expenses that you incurred on its behalf. No different than if your employer did that. Like if I said to Elliot, hey, Elliot, go get pizzas for the office. And Elliot goes out and buys a thousand bucks worth of pizza. It's not deductible to me yet. He brings the pizzas in, everybody in the business eats the pizzas. He still owed a thousand bucks. So what what it really is, is I owe Elliot a thousand dollars. I get to write it off the day that I write him a check for a thousand. So there's actually three or four ways to treat this, just to make it really confusing
1: but we didn't break the corporate
0: veil. You did not break the corporate veil. And yes, you'll be able to write it off. You know, it's just your cash basis taxpayer, which means the corporation gets to write it off when it pays you for the expense. And the only question is, did it pay you for the expense? Because you said, I'm going to loan you my credit card and I'm going to incur the expenses and you're going to pay me back and it gets to write it off right now. Or did I incur that expense and it's just an IOU, in which case then the corporation will pay me back once it makes money? Or do I loan it money that it can then pay me back and write it off? Isn't that fun? Yep. <laughs> Any other scenarios you could think of? I think that's about it. Yeah. So that's that's, that's why you guys show up so we could just.
1: <laughs> <Cool>. <laughs> but, ah. you know, just to that, the, where you run into the corporate veil scenario is if you have the corporation paying directly for your personal expenses. This is the other way around. You personally paid on behalf of the corporation. That's okay. You can do that all day long. Just don't want the corporation paying directly for your personal expenses. That's where you have that corporate bail problem.
0: <laughs> and you're, you're 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 as good as silk. The, the, the fact of the matter is these rules are not like something implodes when you don't do something the perfect way. You get to look back quite often. You can fix things, you just document it and you work with a tax professional and they usually keep you, keep you on the straight and narrow. But you generally, you have always the opportunity to fix things. Uh, so yeah, it's not like you just all of a sudden it blows up and you have a piercing. No, no. It would be years later before piercing would even be relevant. All right. What, if somebody says, do you have any fun jokes that start something like two CPAs and a lawyers walk into a bar? <laughs> oh, because that would be like the most boring bar in the town. Like Two CPAs and a lawyer walked in.
1: I do actually, from, from law school, it happened to my uh, student that was taught by my same tax professor, and he was in a bar, guy walks in and starts spouting off about how he was getting around tax provisions here and there and all that. And it turned out that, you know, this this alumni uh, of my school actually worked for the IRS as an attorney. So he just sat there, had a beer with the guy, found out more information and, you know, sent the audit out the next week. <laughs> so that's actually a true story. It's not a joke.
0: Uh, uh, a lawyer and a CPA walk into a bar and only agree on the drinks. <laughs> that's about right. That's about right. All right. What org structure for small businesses audited the least and provides the lowest tax liability?
1: That's going to be your S corporation. Typically, mm-hmm. yeah, it's going to give you a lot of uh, deductions and and reimbursements that you can take advantage of. I don't know of any, I look at a lot of tax sources all over the web from all over the world, especially, of course, here in the U.S., and I don't know anybody who has hit this more often than this guy right here, as far as the statistics uh, and tax-wise and these programs and everything else and his books and all that. I'm going to turn it over
0: to you. They, they used <laughs> to give us an actual, uh, oh, stop, how much does it cost to sw- swim with sharks an arm and a leg? <laughs> Valerie, I do like you. So that's... I like that one. No, but they used to have a specific table in publication 55, which is this publication. They give out all the stats every year of who got audited and what happened during those audits. Like the big thing for me is I don't care if I get audited, if I never lose, right? If you knew you got audited and you have a one in a hundred chance of losing, you probably wouldn't be scared of an audit. The issue is If I get an audit and I automatically lose like ninety percent plus of the time, so let so remember that. So when you look at the old these old tables, they've discontinued the last two years, so we're trying to piece together the data, but we have years and years and years of historical data. Sole proprietors get audited about eight hundred percent more than an S corp when you actually make money. Like I'm, I say like right around the let's just say, hundred thousand dollars a year. It's about 1.4% and it's 0.2% on a, on a, on a, uh, excuse me, it's 1.6% uh, last year that they came out with stats on $100,000 and a S Corp was 0.2%. So it's about 800% more often, right? So that's not good. Uh, but the worst part is the sole proprietors lose those audits between 94 and 95% of the time. The S-Corps lose about 69 to 71% of the time, but then again, it's like one-eighth of the the audits. And if you're a sole proprietor, you pay tax, uh, you pay self-employment tax, which is old age, disability, and survivors, and Medicare. It's that extra 15.3%. There's a phase out of it, but you pay that on 100% of your net profit. So you make $100,000, you're paying... The actual dollar amount is about $14,100 in employment taxes. That S-Corp would probably pay somewhere in their neighborhood of five dollars or $6,000. So you're going to save eight dollars or $9,000 pretty easily just being an S-Corp if you're making $100,000 a year. So when I look at those, it's not even close. The actual lowest audit rate, though, of all entities is actually the partnership's. But you wouldn't run an active business out of it. That's that's much better. Um, it's much better if you're going to be doing real estate out of the S corp. But they're almost never audited. And then we do over ten thousand returns a year uh, at our firm, and less than a dozen audits last year. It's like it, it they're they're so yeah. so rare when you do things correctly. Usually, there's a way people are getting audited. They're either putting in the wrong numbers. If it's an S-corp, they're not taking a salary and they're taking distributions. In the case of a small business, they're taking crazy deductions, which make no sense, or the numbers don't add up, or the 1099s don't add up. And the or IRS is not, you know, usually the majority thing about 70% of the audits are just correspondence audits where they send you a letter. It's just very, very, uh, very seldom. Some people are still giving us. Bad jokes. An accountant was having difficulty getting to sleep at night. So she went to see her doctor. Have you tried counting sheep? Inquired the doctor. Yeah, that's the problem beyond the accountant. When I make a mistake, I spend six hours trying to find it.
1: That's true. That's about right.
0: (laughs) All right. Enough of this nonsense. Let's get in. How do I best utilize my C-Corp status for tax savings and investing in real estate? We have my 1099 paycheck going into our C-Corp bank account and then pay out about half to our personal bank account as a paycheck. How do I utilize the other half that's sitting in the C-Corp account, such as to buy a new short-term rental or long-term rental investment?
1: So one of the great things we can do here, you could take a loan out to yourself. You'd have to pay interest, a reasonable amount of interest back, but you can take that loan. It gets out of the corporation. There's no tax uh, uh, consideration there other than the interest being earned by the C corporation, then go out and do your investing. Alternatively, the C corporation, before you do the loan, you can take a lot of reimbursements, accountable plan reimbursements, corporate meetings for 288, medical reimbursements. That all gets the money out to you tax-free, deduction to your C corporation. More unlikely, likely, depending on the dollar amount, you're going to use a combination of those two to get the reimbursements first, then the loan. Yeah.
0: Now here's the one thing is they say, hey, I take my 1099 paycheck. There's no such thing. There's a paycheck, which is W two, and there's 1099, which is you're an independent contractor. So I just, whenever I see those two words used together, just think I'm I'm an independent contractor on be and I my company, the C Corp is actually the one doing the service. So you got to make sure that it's being paid to the C Corp, not to you. If it is going to you, there's a there's a there's a workaround, but you gotta make sure that if they're issuing a check, it's to the C Corp. Then you take out a W-2 paycheck. And then you have the rest of the money sitting in there. If you just leave it sitting in the corp and you don't do anything, it's going to be taxed at 21%. And if you wanted to pay that out to yourself, it's going to be long-term capital gains to you, depending on how much money you make. If you're married filing jointly and you make less than $88,000 a year, it's zero, right? So you just, ah. But usually in this scenario, when we see this type, I'm probably putting a 401k or something in place and you're going to put money into a retirement plan. So if you have half the money that you're living on and the other half, well, let's get more into your 401k. We can contribute 25% of your paycheck plus you could what is it? About 20 okay. Oh, yeah, we, I forget the the amount this year. It's uh, like 225 I think oh. is the amount that I could defer directly in. So I could do let's say you're taking $50,000 in in payroll, I could defer immediately 22,500, actually 30 if you're over 50 so you could put a big chunk in there plus your company can contribute 25% of what you got paid so if it's 50 then they could pay another 12,500 and now you just managed to put a whole bunch of money tax free over 40,000 bucks that that number to me adds up to 42,500 right into your retirement plan out of the 100 grands so like you're going to pay zero tax on it that's how you do it so if if you're making money through your business if you don't have other employees then this is it, it, it can be really beneficial. Somebody says, wow, that gets complex. It's numbers. It's just sitting there giving yourself the options. A, B, C. Elliot here and all the tax analysts, that's what they're doing. They're always kind of going through saying, here's your choices. You could do A, B, C, D, and which one's going to get you the best result for the amount that you're working. Uh, and it's not that big of a deal. Once you get through one year of doing a 401k, they're not, they're not really that complicated. They're actually pretty straightforward. There's not a lot of paperwork. And that's, but why would you want a 401k? Because you don't have to pay tax when you put the money into it. And uh, you can grow your strat. Like if you did long-term rentals in that or short-term rentals in that, you wouldn't be paying any tax on it. You could also borrow from a 401k. I like 401ks. Then you can use that 401k money to buy other investments, correct? Yep. You don't have to worry about tax on those investments. So if you do stocks, you could do covered calls. You could do the wheel strategy we teach in, in Infinity Investing, and you could just be making money constantly, and it's not taxed until you take it out. Um, there's so much stuff we could do. Like, again, there's it is somewhat complicated, but that's why you work with somebody who can give you these scenarios. Because for us, it's, hey, A, B, C, D, you know, hey, look, C is obvious, right? Or B is obvious, but... You know, you could always play around with it. And then Patty's pointing out, you could always go to my YouTube channel. There's, (laughs) hey, there it is. Uh, There's a ton of different strategies sitting on there. And Faith, you're just, it's a process. So I always tell people it's about a year and a half of getting used to the vernacular and talking kind of tax. And all of a sudden it just starts to go click, click, click. Once you do it for yourself and you see tax savings, it becomes relevant and then it becomes more interesting. If it's, you know, not if it's something you just want to hand off to somebody else, you can certainly do that, but you really should know some of the basics. We do a tax-wise workshop. These guys do it about every other week now, Every two weeks. every two weeks, where they're going through the strategies and break it into bite-sized pieces. So we have tons of content where we will teach you how to do this stuff. And then once you do it a few times, it just becomes second nature. And you think it's not really that it's like compound education. There you go. What what I care about is just the benefit. You know, once I start seeing benefits, then it becomes important and relevant to me. But think of it like this. If somebody walked up to you and said, I'll pay you a thousand bucks an hour to learn something. That's about the return that, Tax education is that what they don't tell you is it'll end up being a thousand dollars an hour every year for year after year after year and it really starts to add up when it comes to retirement it's the difference between having ten thousand dollars in your account and having a million dollars in your account over a long enough time horizon so that's all it is uh there's YouTube it's free you go in there always have fun stuff that I'm posting and we have a really good group and last but not least if you have questions I see a ton of questions they've answered by the way I got to just Shout out to my team. Let me just tell you guys how many folks are on as, a, answering your questions right now. We've asked, answered over 200 complicated questions. Troy, Tanya, Sergey, Ross, Kurt, Kenny, Jared, Dutch, Dana, Patty, and Matthew are all on. And it's not like we're paying them. Oh, okay, we're paying them, but you're, it's not like you guys are having to pay them, right? They're answering your questions and trying to do the best that they can to give you some clarity. And we know it's complicated out there. Like they passed how many tax acts in the last, you know, three or four years? They keep changing, they keep moving the goalposts. They change stuff on a continuous basis up until, I mean, it's it's nonstop because they're always doing regs and they're always giving additional guidance and they contradict themselves and a court case comes out that mm that poops right on everything, you know, so you're like, you're always trying to do the best you can. And we're just trying to make sure that people are going in with their eyes open so that they're able to take some, uh, you know, some, they're able to take things into account when they're deciding what to do so that they can do things in the way that's best for you, as opposed to just giving it over to the government. We happen to believe that money is better off spent at home in your hands than it is giving it to a government. As much as we love the government, but uh, we think that uh, you're a better steward of your money than any governing agency or any governing body. And the tax code is written for your benefit. So we may as well utilize it. They just make it a little bit complicated. So I'm just telling you, we got a lot of folks out there to help you. Even right now, they're all just churning away, trying to answer all your questions. What we're gonna do now is say, thank you for joining us. Uh, send in your questions at TaxTuesday at AndersonAdvisors.com. You may see it posted on here. We may be answering it live. If uh, nothing else, we'll make sure that we uh, get a response to you. Anything you want to add?
1: Uh, thank you so much for joining and uh, look forward to seeing you again.
0: All right. What I'll do is uh, you're going to see us go mute. But uh, for those of you who have unanswered questions in the Q&A, hang on. They will answer them all before we are done. But thank you, guys. Make sure that you come to the Tax and Asset Protection events that we hold. Clint is amazing speaker, so uh, they'll get there. And then as far as tax wise, I think it's in the tax toolbox. So go to the tax and AP event, learn about the business essentials package, or ask your rep about the tax toolbox. You guys may have access to it. You may not even realize it. And it'll be sitting in there and you'll be able to continue to do all sorts of, of fun stuff. So we'll make sure that we're we're helping you out. So uh, by all means, join us for those workshops and just plug in. You don't have to become a client till you're a good set and ready but you can absolutely learn together with us and we'll always be giving you relevant information that hopefully puts more money in your pockets so we will see you next time two weeks thank you for listening to today's podcast show notes for links to everything mentioned in this episode can be found on our website at andersonadvisors.com podcast Be sure you subscribe to our podcast, and if you are already a subscriber, please provide us a review of what you thought of this episode.